0: place on the planet to buy a car. You're listening to the Wes
1: and Walker Show. I was defending Steve Clifford. <laughs> Steve Clifford, I think he did a great job. You sound just like that guy. It's Wes. He's going to um, ask you to come and do press conferences for him just behind a black curtain so he doesn't have to do it. And Walker. I like Clifford, the, the big red dog. It was my favorite childhood <laughs> book. Getting in shenanigans. Uh, (laughs) I like dogs in general. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ.
0: That is a good book.
1: had some comments with Sam Farber about this upcoming season. The Charlotte Hornets tip off against the Atlanta Hawks tomorrow night. I'll be on the post-game coverage for you right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We'll see what the Hornets are able to do in their first game of the upcoming season, but we do have to get to some more Carolina Panthers conversation and I wanted to play a game today and I wanted to play Daddy GM or Flea Market GM (laughs) and this is how it's going to work. Because I think Panthers fans, we get to see these players that leave the Panthers organization and then they're successful with whatever team they go to. Deontay Foreman just scored three touchdowns this past weekend. They whooped up on the Raiders. Even P.J. Walker, maybe not because of him, but he's out here winning games. Okay? PJ Walker, as a starting QB, is winning games against San Francisco. We saw it against the Colts. And so I thought, all right, what are these moves that we can actually criticize and say that was an awful move even then, Scott Fitter, or we knew it then, and this isn't hindsight involved, or what move, what move could we call that a flea market GM move? Or which one was actually all right. This is the real Scott Fitterer. This is not Josh Fiddy Marlowe dressed as the GM of the Carolina Panthers. And so we move on. We brought Shroppy in to help us out. Yeah. One of the third voice here. Wes, he ditched us as he's one to do every now and then. I just did it last week, so I can't complain too much. So we brought Shroppy in to read the questions. Shroppy, why don't you hit us with the first move and we decide what GM made it. All righty. First move. Trading CMC to the 49ers. Daddy GM move or flea market GM move. Fitty loves it. All right. So if you look at what happened here, Carolina received a 2023 second round pick, a 2023 third round pick, a 2023 fourth round pick, and a 2024 fifth round pick. With those picks, the players that were selected, tight end Bretton Strange, tight end Darnell Washington, and edge Nick Airbig, who actually, I believe, got his first sack over this past weekend. But none of those guys, they play for the Carolina Panthers because Scott Fitterer has been moving and grooving, making deals up and down. We get to see them actually use it to trade up for a Bryce Young, and also they traded up for DJ Washington. I believe that 93 overall selection by Pittsburgh was made because of the move that they made with Carolina. So the fact that you made this move, I never thought this was going to set some kind of rebuild. I never thought that this was going to be a horrible move that made the Carolina Panthers that much worse, even if he's a great player. Chris McCaffrey, he's the best running back in the league. CMC is the best running back in the league, and I'm not here to argue that. But think about what they did with Tuba Hubbard and Deontay Foreman. Guys that are making like $3 million this year, collectively. Not even guaranteed, by the way. Deontay Foreman's making less than a million guaranteed this season with Chicago. And they were still really good. So I still think, with all of the picks that you got in return, you did Christian McCaffrey a solid. I think this was a daddy GM move, the daddy move, and it was smart. So Scott Fitterer, this is not one that I'm going to criticize you for in hindsight.
2: I think it's it's tougher now, just the way that it's it's played out with the, what those draft picks turned into, and what when what Christian McCaffrey. He scored like nineteen uh, touchdown, like a nineteen straight game. It's 16, sixteen now after last night, yeah. including playoff games. It's it's something like ridiculous. But here's the thing: was that ever going to happen here? That is probably no, because I don't think he was. I think he was just uninvested after Matt Rule gave him his "The Way of the Panther" book, and he compared the franchise <laughs> to a to a Pepsi can. And so, I still say it's a the daddy move f- because you did what you had to do at the time. And we all agreed when they made the deal. That's as much value as you could get in the modern NFL for a running back. So, and it, it puts you in position to get Bryce Young, who I still think a decade from now we're going to be pretty happy with.
1: Alright, so we both agree. Daddy move. That was the real Scott Fitter. That was not Fitty, the flea market GM making this decision. By the way, flea market GM, a nickname coined by a listener on the Kyle Bailey Show. Sorry that we can't give you the direct credit. Let's move on, Troppy. What else you have for us? Moving on, we have the opposite rusher of Brian Burns, Hassan
2: Reddick, letting him walk yeah, to this,
1: the Eagles. This one was a tough one for a lot of people people to swallow at the time, including Hassan Redick, by the way, when asked about the contract negotiations at the time, he said he loved it in Carolina and he wanted to be back with the Panthers the following season. He said he didn't necessarily want a test-free agency, but that Carolina, they just had other plans. So he agreed to a three-year, $45 million contract with Philadelphia. After the Nick Bosa contract, I believe that was good for about the 17th highest edge rusher contract, which was a pretty good deal for Philadelphia, considering the kind of production he's given them. He was third in sacks. He's 11th in the league in pressures during the span that he's been with Philadelphia. Also led the league in forced fumbles, turning the ball over, which would help this Carolina Panthers defense, by the way. Hassan Reddick said he loved it. The production has been great for Philadelphia, and it's not like you can even only say that because there were so many other edge rushers on the defensive line. He was good here. And think about how comfortable you would be if you're a Panthers fan, knowing you had one of the nastiest pass rushing duos in all of football. Despite what you think about Brian Burns, to have Burns and Hassan Redick on each side, even if they're a little smaller, even if Hassan Redick did have problems with missed tackles, You can make up for a lot of mistakes by just sacking the quarterback, forcing those fumbles, sneaking up on the QB from the blind side. It doesn't matter, right? Having that much pressure on the edge, I think this is a flea market GM move. I think Scott Fitter should have taken care of business when he had the chance and instead signed his signed Reddick to keep him here long-term.
2: Yeah, no, there's no denying this is a flea market GM move. This was Matt Rule's guy. Like, Matt Rule brought him over from Arizona. He was productive as hell the one year he was in Carolina. He made Brian Burns... The type of, like, he elevated the play of Brian Burns. Almost the type of guy you wouldn't mind investing $30 million in. He goes to Philadelphia as a part of one of the best defensive lines in football with all the former Georgia Bulldogs that that, that he plays alongside of. And for $15 million a year Mm -hmm. as a pass rusher in this league, that's a bargain deal. And so, no doubt, this is... This is as flea market GM as flea market GM could get. All right, Blame Fitty. You can find him on Twitter at
1: (laughs) HTB underscore Josh. Any move that you want to take out your anger on, just tweet at him and say, why did you make that move? Mr. Flea Market GM. Hit us with the next move here, Shrobby. Moving on to the running backs. We have signing Miles Sanders instead of retaining Deontay Foreman. Daddy GM move or Flea Market GM move? I'll read the information afterwards, but everybody knows what this is. This is Flea Market GM move. Yes. This one's real bad. Wah-wah. Now, even then, this was the only move, despite people discussing how great this offseason was with the All-Star coaching staff, with the player acquisitions that you made, going after some guys to help you in the secondary like Yvonne Bell, but even offensively, okay, we were able to retain enough offensive talent with Adam Thielen and DJ Chark. That was clearly bad. But with this Miles Sanders move, you gave him the biggest contract of any other free agent running back out there on the market. They offered, apparently, Deontay Foreman a contract last season, but Deontay turned it down, and so when he did that, that's when they gave Miles Sanders a four-year, over $25 million contract. As I mentioned earlier, Deontay Foreman would agree to a one-year, $2 million contract with Chicago, $940,000 guaranteed. Think about how you could save some of that running back money going to Miles Sanders, have just brought back Deontay Foreman, who was very good filling in for Khalil Herbert in this last game for Chicago against the Raiders, where you could allocate those resources and just paid a guy that ran for 940 yards and not many games started for you because you had Christian McCaffrey the first four or five games. Yeah, this was a bad move, and I thought it was true then. Fans, people alike, saying it was a bad move then and it certainly doesn't look any better now
2: yeah no this is easily a flea market gm move and i know there's the root you know there's the belief that he turned down carolina and that he maybe wanted to go elsewhere but this is the type of guy that you should have you should have really invested in and, and made him a, 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 a focal part of what you were doing moving forward. And on the flip side, when we look at the current running back market for the Panthers or, or for the NFL, that led the Stars to having a Zoom conference talking about why they're getting paid. The Panthers are the example why. Like every GM in the NFL is going to point at the deal you gave Miles Sanders and say, that's why we we're not going to invest in that position. 'Cause you give out the biggest contract in the off season and you're not even getting your pennies worth of the contract with the with the production on the football field. So this was this was a flea market GM move by by Scott Fitter.
1: All right. I wanted to go to some text messages here. I want people to get involved at 704-570-9610. KC Steve wrote in, you guys are really testing my blood pressure with all this GM talk. Yeah, it's not been great. The Bagel Guy said, what makes the Hassan Reddick move worse is that they gave Robbie Anderson... I think a similar amount of money. So, yeah, bad bad choice there, no doubt. Even Dante Jackson, Stephon Gilmore. There's only so many we can get to. But, yeah, yeah there are plenty of flea market GM moves. Finally, you have 980 8 0 saying, how is letting the best running back go okay? Well, it was okay last year when they were winning games without him. Yeah. When they were running for more yards without him than they were with him mm-hmm. doesn't mean that Christian McCaffrey is a bad player. I, that's that's crazy talk. It doesn't mean that he's anything less than the best running back that you have. But of course, when you can allocate money to other positions that might help a uh, offense that is going downhill so much with the wide receivers and then still being able to rely on the run game like they did last year with PJ Walker at quarterback, with Sam Darnold at QB, guys that came into the season as backups and yeah, I'm not going to hate on Scott Fitterer for deciding to make that move. What's the next move you got for us, Rob? The next move we have is trading up for Bryce Young at number one in the draft. This is a daddy GM move. This it's is a totally daddy five. move. Go get your guy. I, even now, I'm, tr- I'm really trying to think about what we thought about this in the moment. And no, Bryce Young hasn't looked phenomenal. But as we talked about earlier, when given a clean pocket, he's been hitting his open receivers. The problem is you just don't have too many open receivers to throw to outside of Adam Thielen. And even then, Adam Thielen shouldn't be your number one guy. As much as he's been playing very well, would be on pace for a 1,000-yard season, even if you did have another talented guy on the outside. You have to funnel all your targets to him because he's the only guy you trust in the passing game. And so with Bryce Young, you go up and you get him. You trade D.J. Moore, which hurt then, but I still think you have to make that move if you want to go get your quarterback. And then you also give up D.J. Moore alongside your number nine overall selection. So you swap the picks, number nine for number one, a late second round pick, a 2024 first round selection, and a 2025 second round selection. It's a decent amount of selections, no doubt, but it's not anything that's crazy enough to where it doesn't make sense to go move up and get your number one QB. The history is not written with Bryce Young after just six games that he's played so far, five games that he's played with Andy Dalton starting against Seattle. I have no problem with that one.
2: Oh, yeah. no, this is a daddy move because you got you got the franchise quarterback you've been looking for since Cam Cam Newton got hurt on that Thursday night game against the Steelers back in 2017 when the season was at six and two and you went on to miss the playoffs. I know it's not easy to see right now. He is going to be the best quarterback of the last draft class. He's going to prove to be better than C.J. Stroud. You know, Jeff's guy, Will Levis, can't even get on the field in Tennessee. Like, like Bryce Young is going to be that dude. What you have to do is probably what we didn't think. He's a guy that needs a lot around him, and there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of great quarterbacks need a lot around him. Once they give him the adequate protection up front and the weapons in the passing game, He's going to prove to you why they went up and drafted a number one overall.
1: Alright, real quickly, let's try to fit this last uh, move that Scott Federer made in here. Yep, so last one. Drafting J.C. Horn and Icky Aquanu in back-to-back first rounds. Yeah, this one's going to be tough. I-, I feel like this one's going to be polarizing. J.C. Horn is the tough one for me. I'm going to say daddy move. I don't think it's flea market. The daddy move. I'm a little worried about Icky. No doubt about it.
2: But... Kind
1: of icky on icky? A
2: little icky. (laughs) He's played a little
1: icky in a couple of games. Thanks for hitting the crickets (laughs) on that one. The pass protection has been okay in four of the six games, I would say. There are two bad ones. He was good enough last year for us to feel comfortable with him. The JC Horn thing, he's a good player when he's on the field, but he is injured. I don't know if you can account for that when selecting him at number eight overall. Then I was mad that they didn't draft Justin Fields. Now, not so much. I just think that even if you wanted to compare Icky to the other tackles considered, Evan Neal and Charles Cross, those guys aren't playing at a level to the point where you say they drastically missed on those left tackles. And let this team not draft a left tackle a couple of years ago and see how this (laughs) fan base reacts. They would have burnt Bank of America Stadium to the ground if they didn't select a left tackle at that point. Maybe QB, maybe would be okay, but we all knew the QBs weren't good in that draft. That was the Malik Willis draft. So I think this is a daddy move. I'm cool with J.C. Horn. I understand the thought process, at least when they made that decision. Same with Icky.
2: Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I go the daddy, daddy move. move as well because you got your franchise left tackle, something that you haven't had since Jordan Gross was anchoring the left side of your offensive line. And look, man, I know Wes doesn't believe in shutdown corners, but the math proves when J.C. Horn's on the field, he takes away one half. And so you, you need to figure out a way to keep him healthy. I don't know what's going on with him, but you you, you got a franchise potential left tackle and a potential franchise cornerback, something you haven't had since... Really, Chris Gamble was here because Josh Stormer was a one year wonder. I'm going to go daddy move. Most underrated Panther of all time, Chris Gamble? Yeah. Possibly? Until that 08 playoff game. Yeah. Got him. That's almighty. what did it. All right, you can text
1: in with some of your thoughts. Most underrated Panther of all time, and whether you think we were dead wrong or dead right about some of these flea market GM moves or daddy GM moves. Thanks to Shroppy for helping us out in the Planet Kia studios. We yeah. will move on and welcome Terrence Oglesby to talk some round ball on the other side of the break. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. <laughs> try to do my best west bride impression i'm telling you people sometimes things work perfectly and this is one of those times ladies and gentlemen we got some breaking news from sham sharania shams i've always forget how to pronounce his last name that was a sham yeah it was all right so here's the breaking news the charlotte hornets are signing veteran guard ish smith League sources tell The Athletic and Stadium this is year fourteen for Ish Smith. The Hornets are waving Edmund Subner to make roster space. How excited are you about Ish Smith's return, Fiddy? Because um, you're seem pretty happy.
2: Is there anyone more happier in the world though than Eric Collins? Like whenever he saw this tweet come through, I imagine he's eating at a nice fancy restaurant and he just goes, "I'm dinnerly D the Livermush boys." This is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is so perfectly timed, as I mentioned, because we're going to go to the Body Works Plus guest hotline right now and welcome a guest that not only is capable of talking Charlotte Hornets basketball, but also very capable talking ACC basketball because he played in it. Welcome to Mr. Terrence Oglesby, a renaissance man. Stick with me here. Basketball analyst with the Hornets. Hornets Live, also seen on ESPN, Fox, Valley, NBA TV, the Field of 68, and CBS Sports Network. Former Clemson basketball player Terrence Oglesby now joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Terrence, how are you doing, my man?
0: I'm doing well, but let me say this, too. Uh, 14th year for Ish Schmidt, that ages you because I played against Ish in college. So that hurts a little bit, but I like the addition that Ish is coming back because after uh, Nilakino went down, I, I think they, they needed a little bit behind LaMelo, and uh, I think it works all the way around.
1: Yeah, 100%. I'm happy. And plus, Lamello and Ish had a great relationship the last time he was here. You brought it up. I wanted to bring this up at the end of the interview, but let's just play this game right now. One thing that we like to do here on Wesson Walker is we play the game of name the most random or obscure ACC basketball player from the mid-2000s that you can remember. So my favorite go-to is your Clemson teams, Terrence, like Casey Rivers, RIP DeMontes Stitt. Among my favorites to go to Fitty loves. Tony Douglas loves to go to Jack McClinton. I I need to put you on the spot. Who's the best obscure ACC player you ever played against or with when you look back on your time?
0: Well, KC certainly qualifies. And not only that, KC just signed in Mexico. So you want to talk about 14- and 15-year bets? Oh, still uh, going. He's still playing. That
1: so makes me so Casey's happy.
0: still going. Yeah, God bless him. I, I don't know how he does it because everything hurts when you play overseas. But he's just found a way to keep going. Let, let me uh, give you another one. Chaz McFarland, who yes. played with-ish, uh, who I thought was a good player. A little bit dirty. A little bit dirty. But they needed that to kind of mix it up because that – people don't remember those wake forest teams ish smith jeff T, al Kaminu, uh ld Wade man they were good and and chas kind of he was the guy that kind of mixed it up set a couple of kind of dirty screens and uh they, they were super talented and they needed a dirty work guy well he was that dirty
1: work guy. So how's that for one? Yeah, that's that's fan. That's so obscure. That's like sick ACC obscure player name. So I love it. Terrence be on the Body Works Plus guest hotline helping us out. Love every bit of that name. Let's just keep it with the ACC conversation before we move on to the Charlotte Hornets. So we're going to be real busy tomorrow. So are you. ACC tip-off for the men's side will take place at the Hilton. The Hornets suit up for their first game. I feel like, though, when we talk about college basketball in the ACC – I think for me, the Tar Heels are the number one storyline, just because of the drastic difference in outcomes from 22 and 23. What are they going to do this year? Terrence, would you put the heels at the top of that, or is there another storyline you find more intriguing?
0: Uh, to me, I think it certainly has to be them. I think the second storyline you look at is Duke, with all their returning pieces and the fact that they were able to bring in yet another what, number one, number two recruiting class in all of college basketball. I think... Uh, Both teams are certainly unique. I I think one of the biggest storylines you're going to see develop as the year goes along, and he started to create some buzz with his name, but Elliot Cadeau fits like a glove to what North Carolina really needed last season. And what was that? A guy who's willing to give the ball up and make winning plays when he's not necessarily the focal point. And I think he's somebody that could do that. Uh, throughout the course of the season. He plays well beyond his years. He's one of the smarter players in college basketball. As an incoming freshman, uh, he's a gifted young individual. And and I think because he's going to play beside R.J. Davis, R.J. Davis gets to really do what he's wired to do, and that's score the basketball. But, Kind of at a different pace because I think both guards now with both Davis and Cadeau, they're willing to make that pitch ahead pass. And it's going to look a little bit more like the Carolina teams of old because the ball should be moving a little bit better, not only with Cadeau, but Harrison Ingram. I think Cormac running at Notre Dame was an underrated addition as well. Carolina is going to be really, really good. It's just a matter of how are they going to be able to harness all that talent? What are they going to be able to produce with consistency under Hubert? Because let's be honest, this is really the first time where he's had the guys that he's wanted to pick to put on his team. Uh, for an entire season he was kind of saddled with Caleb Love he was kind of saddled with some of these other guys that he liked sure because he played a part in recruiting them but they weren't necessarily his guys they were Roy's guys I think this year is going to be very telling to what kind of coach Hubert Davis is and I think they're going to be really good
1: Ah, man, the ball movement should be very good this year I'm excited to see what that's going to look like out there on the floor Terrence how does this Duke basketball team compare to last year with John Shire's second season as the head coach
0: I think there's a couple of things you look at. Filipowski is coming back. He was never really 100% because of two bad hips. and Rumor has it the dude is looking phenomenal. I think there's going to be a bit of a slow start. The first five games of the season are going to be kind of a reacclimation process for him. But I think, once again, he's going to turn into one of the best players, uh, not only in the ACC but the country, because he's so versatile at seven foot tall. What can he do on the floor? I'm excited to see there. Tyrese Proctor came along late. Uh, over the last 10 games, I'm not sure there was a better guard in college basketball. He could have left, but at the same time, like, six five, six six can really handle it. Shot creation was at an elite level in the NCAA tournament. He is extremely talented. I- I'm just excited to see uh, how it carries through. The one notable thing with Duke, though, that scares me a little bit is where's that rim protection going to come from? Because when Derek Lively was good last year, that's when Duke elevated into where they were as an elite team in college basketball. Now they don't have that rim protection to sit behind some of that gambling defense that they like to play. Is Sean Stewart going to come in? A freshman from Florida who is an elite athlete, but he's only 6'8", 6'9", so he presents a different uh, challenge at the rim. That all being said, if they're able to figure out that piece, I think Duke is going to be... I mean, what do they rank preseason number two in the AP poll? And I think that's deserving. I think they'll stay around that area for the entire
1: season. That's Terrence Oglesby on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Not only does he uh, cover college basketball, but he also covers the Charlotte Hornets as Bally Sports Southeast welcomes Terrence as the new Hornets Live analyst for this upcoming season. Terrence, congratulations here over the phone lines, at least. The season starts tomorrow. I know you've been excited about it. Just how did this process come about for you, for you to be named the uh, new Hornets Live live analyst for telecast this upcoming season?
0: Uh, you know what? It was a very quick process. And to be quite frank with you, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I haven't <laughs> done NBA stuff. I, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, I, I think it's really a cool opportunity because I know how good the Hornets telecast are with Eric, who I've worked with before, with Dell, who everybody knows and loves, and with Ashley Shamedy, who I think does a terrific job. Uh, I, I'm really excited about the opportunity and I understand the responsibility that comes with it because of how good the program already is, uh, how it came about, you, you know, it was interesting. I got a phone call on Tuesday saying I needed to take a phone, they didn't, needed to take a zoom call on Wednesday. I got offered the job on a Thursday and I signed a contract on a Friday and wow. then they announced it on a Monday. So I, you know what it's, uh, I, I had worked with Valley previously Uh, not doing studio work, but doing, uh, ACC games. So I think there was some familiarity there. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of work. I worked with the Big East doing some, doing some studio work. Not at length, but enough to where they saw that I was certainly capable. And I'm certainly excited to be a part of this because, Uh, a few things like I said how good the program already is and just how exciting I think this
1: Hornets team could be this year. All right, so you've been practicing I know you've been putting the film study in we got to see some Charlotte Hornets basketball in the preseason some things you can take away some things you can't Uh, how do you decipher those things watching preseason Terrence what are some of the things you think that are good that is going to stick with this team and what are some of the things maybe you just throw to the wayside because it's preseason and it's not like Steve Clifford is making coaching decisions based off of winning this game and nothing else.
0: You know what? There's a few things I'm looking at. Is Lamelo Ball going to be an 82 game guy? Whenever you're getting paid that much money, I mean, that's your responsibility, right? You have to be a consistent guy every night. You have to bring it on Tuesdays when when guys are sleepwalking sometimes. Like you have to be that main cog to a team that really wants to make the playoffs this year. You listen to Mitch Kubchak in his last podcast with Sam Ferber, who does a terrific job, I think, too. Uh, he said, "You know, we feel like we should be a playoff team this year. This would be the fruition of everything that we've put into this pro- to this organization over the last, you know, three, four, five years. Uh, simply, you've stocked up on draft picks. You've you've hit, you've hit with Lamelo. You brought in some good uh, free agents, or not free agents, but you traded for guys like Gordon Hayward, who's turned out to be a really good player for you, who's in a contract year. I, this Hornets team is capable of making the playoffs. But the thing I wonder about." What happens coming off the bench? That scares me a little bit. Brandon Miller, I'm assuming, is going to come off the bench because that's how it was trending in the preseason. Who's going to be that guy that can keep the ship afloat? That's what scares me more than anything. Because when the starters were in there, I thought they were excellent uh, during the preseason. When it went to that second unit, that's when things became a little dicey. They need to find somebody that they can rely on with that second unit to continue to at least keep it even. That's my biggest thing looking at the season.
1: Well, you brought up Brandon Miller. What do you think would entail a good rookie season from him? How can he be the most impactful just playing his first year in the NBA?
0: You know what? It's inter- It's going to be interesting to watch because, in in my opinion, I think Brandon Miller is much better when he plays with better players. So, for example, whenever he started a couple of preseason games, I thought he played better than when he came off the bench. And why is that? Because he's playing alongside Terry Rozier, and he's playing alongside LaMelo Ball. Uh, he was 1 of 13 in a preseason from three. That is worrisome, but let's keep in mind it's still the preseason and it's still a rookie. That's definitely going to improve because his shot's too pretty to miss that many. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly going to be an adjustment. However, he does have all the intangibles defensively, uh, he, he's a, he's a quick study as far as rotations in the NBA that are, that are similar, but, uh, there are some differences between the NBA and the college games simply because the rules are different. So he's been a quick study as far as that's concerned. And offensively, he's not going to be a guy who dominates the ball. And whenever you play against really good pl- play with really good players, Uh, That certainly helps. And the more I think he's on the floor with LaMelo, the better it's going to be for the Hornets as a whole and for Brandon as a whole.
1: All right, Terrence, because I can't help myself, I want to continue to talk about ACC nostalgia, including you, with this next clip. Go ahead, Fiddy. Play the clip of Terrence Oglesby winning the basketball game for the Clemson Tigers against the Maryland Terrapins. Osby, Bombali, Osby. I heard that the best hair in the ACC at the time. Of course, Gravis Vasquez. If you want more obscure ACC players, Terrence, is that your best basketball moment? Hitting that shot to beat Maryland.
0: It's one of them because it put us in the tournament. Both teams run a bubble, so going up and winning at Maryland that put us in the tournament. Bombali Osby was the funniest guy I've ever played against because he was this big muscle-bound guy. And he shot free throws on his absolute fingertips, like not on the not on his shooting pads, is what a lot of people call him. He shot it on his fingertips, and before he shot every free throw, he said, "Oh yeah, that's cash." <laughs> and then I, think, I think he shot like thirty four percent from the free throw line. It wasn't cash. I'm not sure where he got that information. It wasn't cash, but no, that was a, that was a great moment. And then uh, against Florida State and Tony Douglas at home, uh, I set the record for most points in an overtime uh, at Clemson. So that's. Those two right there are probably my favorite.
1: All right. Seems qualified enough to talk round ball to me. So that's why he does it for college basketball. It's why he does it for the NBA now as your new Hornets live telecast analyst. Awesome stuff from Terrence Oglesby on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can also, by the way, find him on Twitter at T underscore Oglesby 22. Can't wait to talk to you the rest of the way, man. Have a great rest of your day. All
0: right, guys. Thank you so much. I'm sure I'll see you tomorrow at ACC Media
1: Day. I'm sure you will. And we'll talk Bombali Osby some more. How about that? We can certainly do that. Don't tease me with a good time. (laughs) I will talk about random ACC players from back in the day. Anytime you allow me to do so. Great stuff from Terrence. We'll put that interview on the website, by the way, in case you missed some of it, or you just want to hear it again, go to our website, WFNZ.com. Just click the Wesson Walker tab.
2: I don't know about you Walker, the nostalgia that came back into my head hearing Tim Brando. I imagine that was a Sunday night game on Fox sports or maybe a Wednesday night game. That's why I hate conference realignment, because that was when college basketball and ACC basketball was at its absolute best. And God, get Maryland back in the ACC. That
1: one was the tough one to lose. And so now Maryland might be the least of our problems with conference realignment. So you bring in Stanford, you bring in Cal, and now it looks like North Carolina sending the no-no email. (laughs) Don't you do it, NC State. Sure enough, NC State allowed those two programs to come into the conference, and we might lose the ACC as we know it, but we always have Bombali Osby. Remember that <laughs> folks. We'll always have Bombali Osby calling cash at the free throw line. We have one more segment to go in the one o'clock hour. We had Visit to the Mound. We had Terrence Oglesby. Let's welcome Willie P to talk a little Charlotte FC playoff propositions. Let's do all of that coming up next. Sports Radio 92. seven WFNZ. Hey. me to reintroduce myself my name is i'm will pelagic still new york with the possession halfway home it's it's time and that's it
2: it's over it's done charlotte fc is going to the playoffs charlotte fc is going to the playoffs columbus crew beat montreal
3: and we are headed for soccer on wednesday night
1: that is the voice of willie playoff party steamboat willie p yeah we're going to the postseason, baby. Let's talk to that man that you hear on the call here on WFNZ. Willie P joins us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Willie, what was that moment like for you, my man?
3: Mailman, it was in, just incredibly scintillating because I, I feel like that moment and the moments that preceded it were very much a release of all the frustration that had kind of been the ebb and flow of this season. Uh, it had a lot of up and down. Uh, we talked a lot about the downs and the drop points from winning positions and things of that nature. But I think when it's all said and done, uh, Charlotte Seaton needed every little point that they earned this season to get themselves into the dance. And, and as a result, it now has them in a scenario where uh, if they win on Wednesday, they get into the first round proper, and you can mess around and uh, make their, make yourself a run in this thing.
1: All right, so calling a win over Lionel Messi. In the process of clinching a playoff berth, you knew there was an opportunity heading into this game with that very scenario coming about. My question to you, Willie P, is: Did you rehearse the call beforehand, or did you allow it's that enough. to come up with organically?
3: Very, very organic. Honestly, uh, with with everything that uh, transpired over the, I would say, forty eight to sixty two hours after Charlotte's Wednesday win, I mean, we had so many ranges of emotions that even you know the messy part of it. Uh, has developed and very much like the Charlotte 7 flow of the season. The, the narrative surrounding whether or not Messi would play uh, has taken on a lot of different characteristics. You had, right at the beginning, people were saying, and even the commissioner was saying, I hope they put grass down. And Atlanta and Charlotte both said, no, they're not going to do that. And there was this thought that he wouldn't play on turf. And Messi came out and them said, turf is not a big deal to me. I don't care. Then he got hurt. Then he played in Argentina, and people were wondering with with Miami out of the playoffs, would he play or not? There was a question about whether or not he was going to start. And, and really, I just kind of tried to keep the head clear. And then uh, once I found out he was starting, it was obviously there was a little trepidation on both Jess and I's part, thinking about okay, how is this going to work? But you know what? They get the early goal, and they showed resilience for 77 minutes of defending. I know that Taylor Thompson was on the air uh, this morning and uh, also during the game, saying that you know maybe. Gerald to see at times played a little foolhardy, but I think they were organized. I think they used the high press to their advantage. They light the load for themselves on defense, and I also think they've like, created an identity with this Christian Latanzio-led side that has been developing over the course of the season, and now is, I think, as fortified as they've been uh, going into the postseason.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, you bring up Latanzio. This was a guy that we had conversations about earlier this season, Willie. About is. Is he going to hold on to his job? I hit very much so on the hot seat, and here he is now going into the postseason. How would you describe the roller coaster that was Latanzio's season?
3: Well, I think it's you know to, to say that a playoff first has him off the roller coaster. I think would maybe be an oversimplification of it. Not my not because of anything that I know, but just some fans that I've talked to. Yeah, uh, there are some that were very much th- thinking that I don't want to say they were rooting against the NFC, but. They were wanting to have anything potentially happen for a coaching change. I think that's a bit foolhardy in my opinion because I think you back the club through thick and thin and you you see what you can do. And I think that there have been a lot of great strides and development under LaToncio that has been overlooked by a lot of fans. I think uh, the rise of Andrew Privet, somebody who really came in uh, being groomed by the crown legacy outfit that uh, Charlotte FC has had for the first time this year. Uh, putting him into the starting lineup and using him as a hybrid midfielder slash center back has given Charlotte FC uh, a different point of attack than they had at the early part of the season. I think the growth and development of some of the uh, the younger players as well that have come into the squad and also the additions of the summer transfer window, the addition of Yara Ornan, I think, has given Charlotte FC a solidified back line. I think the ability to find the spaces where all three of Charlotte-designated players who only played together from the starting lineup just 10 out of 42 of all competitions where they're able to start all three of those guys together, I think for a second-year side, that's a very difficult thing to overcome. You need your designated players to be able to be immediate contributors and do so early and often in order for you to have some of that success. And honestly, if you contextualize Charlotte FC's success as a second-year side, uh, of the 19 teams outside of the nine that began uh, MLS in 1996 and the one that began this year, uh, the teams that have played at least two seasons or more charlotte fc is one of is just the sixth of the remaining 19 to have 40 points per season in their first two seasons and get to the playoffs in at least one of those two so it's a scenario where i, I know that we talk a lot about the teams that have done well at the beginning and a lot of those though are very much outliers the atlanta's the lasc's it took fc cincinnati a couple of years of being the spooner to win the supporter sheet so it's very much something where I think it's still developing, I think it's still growing, and I think LaToncio is the champion behind all that. And I feel like uh, he's now starting to get maybe some of the credit for the success, and I think you got to do that for him if you're also going to criticize the way that they were as a, an up-and-down team during the
1: season voice of charlotte fc willie postseason p joining us on the bodyworks plus guest hotline i'm glad you brought up taylor 12man who joined mac and bone earlier today and not only taylor but also mac was talking about yes this moment is clearly great and i don't think that should be taken away none of the joy of that should be is there any reflecting though on what the season could have been even more so because of all of the points dropped throughout the course of the season where you had the big leads and they turned out to be a draw or they turned to be turned out to be an outright loss is there any of that going on right now hey man it it goes to show this team can accomplish actually a lot more if they just hold on to some of those leads
3: well I think it's it's a contrast for what was a year ago I think from, from Charlotte's perspective they were very much the comeback kids a year ago and they were not holding a lot of leads it took them until their third week to get their first ever goal. So, I mean, it's a scenario where now Charlotte FC is getting leads and getting goals, and unfortunately one of those games where they did drop points was second matchup against New York Red Bulls where they had a two-goal lead in the opening half in the first 20 minutes and then conceded early in the second half and then once at the hour mark. And on a goal that I should add anecdotally, that Christian Kalina probably would want back. It uh, was a bit soft from him. and I think he'd even admit it too, as well, if you we gave him some uh, opportunity to reflect on it. But at the same time, you can't control it. I, I think, honestly, uh, soccer is very much a two part job. And even Ashley Westwood, their captain, said this uh, yesterday when talking about you know playing with leads like a 2 0 lead. It's often harder to do that than it is to play from behind because you play from behind, you throw everything at the game. And if you go down 3-0, you know, nobody really cares. It's uh, much easier to play from behind because of that, that urgency and that uh, that expectation being rather low. It's much harder. You, it's very easy for your brain psychologically to switch off up 2-0 because of the way the game is played. But I think from Charlotte's perspective, they learned a lot with the game on Saturday. I think they've learned a lot uh, with some of the failure they've had this season. And I think it's uh, this particular format of playoff where – you don't necessarily need to uh, outright beat your team in order to earn yourself a playoff uh, shootout. I think is at least given Charlotte a C. You know, you saw it during the League Cup. This, this brand of football, honestly, I think is, is suited for them to potentially make some noise.
1: All right, that is Willie, Prince of the Pitch, Palacic, joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. I had one more question before we send you out of here. What does Charlotte have to do on Wednesday to get past the New York Red Bulls?
3: Stand up to their physicality. It's going to be a game that's won a lot in the air. Uh, New York likes to, to play the ball long and direct and uh, use their physicality to out-muscle guys. They're going to have to maintain their composure. Both teams want to press. New York doesn't want the ball. Charlotte has to make sure that they are content with their decision-making and intentional with their decision-making. They can't make any careless errors. And most importantly, they have to avoid the individual errors that have befallen them at parts of this season. But if they can make that happen, maybe make a goal or two early, I think they got a good chance tomorrow.
1: All right. That is Willie. Prominent pipes of the penalty kick. Palacic joining us now on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Good luck to you. Congratulations, Willie. I'm happy, man. Hopefully we're talking about a win sometime down the road.
3: No shortage of alliteration with you, Walker. Oh, no, man. None
1: at all. We got peas for you here. Okay? I promise. I got all the peas in the world for Willie P. Palacic. <laughs> That'll do it for Willie. Big thanks to him for hopping on with us. We have one more hour to go on Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.